Welcome, Twib Nation. This is This Week in Mormons, the Taffy edition, which stands for Tiffany and Friends for You. And tonight, I am here with a new friend. Her name is Cassandra. Cassandra, welcome to This Week in Mormons. Thanks so much. It's so weird listening to you because like, I'm used to see you saying all that in my earpiece, but at like one and a half times speed. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's great to be here. Yes, Cassandra, I am going to have you tell the listeners your last name because I am horrible at pronunciation and I will just ruin it. So tell everyone what your last name is. My last name is Joni, and you said my first name correctly, so kudos. Um, my last name is Albanian because that's where my husband's from, and they like to combine a G and a J and confuse all of the Americans. So, Okay, thank you. So my new friend tonight is Cassandra Joni. So thank you very much. And as you can probably tell from listening to Cassandra, she is a listener who sent an email into Twim and said she'd like to record with me. And I am just having so much fun recording with the listeners. So when you are a new listener, when you are a, not a new listener, when you are a listener who is podcasting with me for the first time, I like to ask um, a couple of different questions. First of all, I'd like you to give a brief introduction of yourself. And after you do that, I'm just going to ask you a couple twim related questions so our listeners understand your love of twim. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Cassandra? First of all, let's start with like where you live, what you do. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm currently a grad student um, in physician assistant school. I graduate in December, which is super exciting because it's taken a long time to get here. I live in Virginia. I'm originally from Washington State over by the Seattle area. did a stint in Utah for a couple years where I met my husband and we got married during COVID, which was a wild ride because the temples were not open and then they were and then that was a whole thing. Um, it was great. And uh, he was very supportive and just said, as long as you don't make me go back to Idaho where it's too cold, I will go with you anywhere. Um, so we moved to Virginia for PA school and we've been here for the last couple of years and we don't know what's coming next. So oh. we'll just see what happens. Oh, I was going to say he must have been over in Eastern Idaho because that is the part of Idaho that is cold. If you come yes. to Boise, People in Eastern Idaho think Boise is like Florida, and they call Boise Florida because the temperature in Boise is so much warmer than Eastern Idaho. So My tell it. Sister-in-law is in Florida, and it is not Florida out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he went to BYU Idaho, so yeah. He, he was marred by the cold of Eastern Idaho. Bring him to Boise sometime. We can always use good physician's assistants here in Boise. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So how long have you been a twin listener? You know, I'm not sure exactly. I think it must have been around like 2016 or 2017, oh. maybe. I have no idea how I got started listening to the podcast. I don't. Okay. Um, I think I wanted to listen to podcasts and I have a vague memory of searching for Mormon podcasts and I found it probably. Um, yeah. And I've just listened off and on since then and catch up if I don't listen for a couple months and it's a great podcast. It's fun. Thank you. So how do you like to listen to your podcast? Do you listen to them while you're driving, while you're doing your housework, while you're walking? How, how do you consume? 
Uh, yes, to most of those. Most of the time I'm driving, okay. um, especially on road trips, uh, sometimes with housework. And um, I like to attempt watercolor sometimes, so sometimes I'll listen to it while I'm doing that. But yeah, probably like three times out of four, it's driving. Awesome. Well, me, me too. I would say it's, I'm either walking or I am in my car driving when I'm, I'm listening to podcasts. So, all right. Well, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on in our lives. Halloween is coming up. And for me tomorrow night, we have our ward Christmas, our ward Christmas party, our ward Halloween party. And we are doing a, well, I shouldn't say it's a Halloween party. It's a harvest party. We always do a soup and chili cook-off. So we have two categories. We have one category for soup and one category for chili. And so we have two winners, one in each category. And we have a traveling trophy that I made out of items found at the Deseret Industries. So every year I have to remember who won the previous year and go collect the trophy from them and say, you only get this trophy for a year unless you come back and win, win the contest again. What is, what is this trophy? Um, this trophy, oh, I should have, I should have brought it. So those watching on video can see it's just in the next room. I bought a flower vase. And in the flower vase for the chili trophy, I put dried chili beans. For the soup trophy, I put dried beans like, you know, like lentils and stuff, you barley stuff you'd put in a soup. And then I found a bowl and I super glued the bowl on top of the flower vase. And it has a big ribbon on it that says first prize. So that is the traveling <laughs> DI trophy for the soup and chili contest for my ward. That's fantastic. <laughs> so does, does your ward do any Halloween activities or harvest party? We have a trunk or treat coming up tomorrow. Um, and they do have a chili cook-off. I feel like last year there were soups. I do not know who won. Um, yeah. One of my girlfriends in the ward loves Halloween. So she's like, will you park by me and we'll decorate your car like ours? I'm like, yeah, considering we didn't decorate ours last year, you can do whatever you want. Um, so she said she would give her son, her five-year-old son, some money for the dollar store and he can go buy some things to decorate our car. Um, so I'm, cu I'm curious to see what, what he got. It'll be fun. Oh, that'll be so fun. Well, we are doing ours tomorrow, not at the church. We're doing it outdoors at a park, which, um, is a little dicey this late in the month of October. The high tomorrow at the time of the party will be 44 degrees. So um, it will be a bit chilly. So hopefully the soup will be nice and hot and that will keep people warm. I don't think we're probably going to linger longer tomorrow. I think people are going to consume their soup and uh, skedaddle on out of there because like I said, it's, it's, it's going to be a bit cold, um, but oh that's the risk you take if you want to do something at the end of October. I mean, we were down to the forties last week, but this week we popped back up and I'm looking at the weather right now. Okay. It looks like during trunk or treat time, we will be in the low seventies. Oh, I'm so jealous. You are having the weather that we had last week. I think it's worked its way across the country because we were in this, we were, we were in the high sixties, low seventies last week, which makes the forties all that much more colder. It so is, it is, it's true. All right. And the other thing that I did this week that was exciting, I registered for my Tabernacle Choir 
uh, Christmas concert tickets. How did I? I have heard you guys talking about that and strategizing how to do it. How did you register for it? Well, they're doing it differently this year. I, I don't think they've done it this way in the past, or maybe they haven't. I just haven't paid attention. You had about a f- two or three day window that you got online and you registered. So you register and then it's like a lottery. In the past, you had to go online at a certain time and attempt to claim them and you'd get in a queue and you'd be on there with millions of other people and websites would crash and it was just kind of a hot mess. So I really like this way of registering that you just register. They're going to do a lottery uh, on or about the 11th of November. If I happen to score four tickets to the Christmas concert, they will let me know. And if I score them, I will then subsequently be planning a trip to Utah in December. So we'll see what happens. I'll be waiting with bated breath to hear on the podcast. I know. The tickets are not. I feel like you guys have been talking about this for a couple months. We have been. We we are big fans of the Tap Cats. So hopefully um, by the time my sister and I record, which will be in two weeks, that I will have heard... Well, I don't know if they're going to let me know that I didn't get them. I think they will just let me know if I did. So if I did get them, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, return and report. But... All right. Well, we are here tonight to do some news. So why don't we do some news? And I will start off with the first story. We have we have breaking news. I always like it when we have breaking news. And just today, our breaking news is the young men and young women leaders of the church announced their new youth theme for 2024. And the new youth theme for 2024 is, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is based on 3 Nephi chapter 5 verse 13. So it will be interesting to see everybody's take on that for next year and how they incorporate that into youth camps and youth activities and uh, kind of imprint that on our young men and young women. So I think it's a great theme. Nice. Yeah, I like what they've been doing with the youth lately. So that'll be very exciting. All right. Our next story is Sister Iring's funeral. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, I will take that. So as you guys have mentioned in recent podcasts, um, she passed away on the 15th. She was 82 years old. Um, Oh, I didn't see if they mentioned how long she and Elder Iring had been married. Um, I think they got married in 1963. So that puts them at, uh, at about... At about 60 years. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, they shared a bunch of really sweet stories about her and really sweet quotes about her that I enjoyed. Um, President Nelson said that Kathleen is an elect daughter of God who did everything she came to earth to do, which I just thought was like the sweetest review you could have at the end of your life. Like you did everything you came to do. It's fantastic. So that was super sweet. She passed away while she was listening to a broadcast of her ward. And it was the closing song of her bountiful fifth ward singing precious savior, dear redeemer. And yeah, I I just thought that was so sweet. Well, that just gave me chills when I read that in the article that uh, she got to hear this beautiful music as she was as she was leaving this mortal existence. And 
I mean, it's kind of interesting because we know in the latter years of her life, she, she suffered with a lot of memory issues and president Iring, um, was, was very cognizant of her memory issues and trying to help her in, in, in any way he could. And I, if you, if you actually look at the article, it was a Deseret News article, there are some really sweet pictures that they took, not in the chapel at the funeral, but as the family is coming out of the chapel. She had a bunch of great-grandsons that were her pallbearers, and uh, they put the casket into the, the hearse, and President Irene, there's a picture of him going over and touching the casket, and then he's holding hands with one of his great-great-grandsons, and uh, just some just some very actually I think he was holding I think it was the grandsons who were the pallbearers and then he was holding hands in one of the photos with a great grandson so and I saw that photo and it was just so sweet and everyone just kind of has like I don't know it it made me think of the funerals my family has had where it feels like a really like you're you're sad but you're you're grateful you have the gospel and you have this eternal perspective. And it's, it's really nice to see a lot of family gathered together and, you know, it's um, there's, there's a happy thing about that. And I kind of just, I don't know. um, I'm sure everyone is grieving a lot, but I think I see some of that happiness there too. in that photo about just being able to be together. Well, and I really liked what, um, the words of wisdom that President Oaks gave President Iring at the funeral. President of Oaks, of course, lost his first wife, and he said he lost his first wife about 25 years ago. And this is what he told President Iring. He said, I knew that I would miss her companionship, he said, but I did not know how keenly I would miss the responsibility of caring for her. That period of adjustment is a hit for each of you, but most keenly for your father, our dear associated, the work of the Lord. You will continue to be in our prayers as you grieve over this separation and adjust to this new circumstance. So, he was actually speaking to the entire family, not just President Irene, but I thought that was really interesting how he pointed out not just missing her companionship, but the responsibility of caring for her, because I'm pretty sure that President Irene probably heavily felt that responsibility, even though she was suffering from, you know, these memory issues that he was still responsible for caring for her and loving her and just making life as best as he could for her. Yeah, it's, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Um, And uh, yeah, I have grandparents that are currently dealing with dementia and and grandma has Alzheimer's. And so we're all, and they're on the other side of the country from most of us. And so it's, it's interesting trying to coordinate caring for her. And as I watch my mom and her sisters do that and, and yeah, is, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to care for someone who doesn't remember the conversation you had yesterday about caring for them. (laughs) Anyway, it, it was, it was a sweet funeral. Um, You know, for our listeners, we'll put a link to the article. If you haven't had a chance to read it, it goes into a lot of detail about her life. And I didn't realize that she was very athletic. She liked to ski and golf and play softball. And one of the kids talked about, that she would drop him off at school and then she'd be out in the field with her, with the other moms hitting the softball around. He'd look out his classroom window and he'd be like, Hey, there's mom on the, on the, on the baseball field playing softball. I think it also said that she and Elder Iring won the couples tennis match. They did. They did. Um, 
And let's see what else. What else interested me about it? She she met Elder Irene when she did a stint at Harvard, and she got a degree from it looked like Berkeley in political yeah. science, and she learned how to speak French and German at the University of Vienna. And I was just very. She's very educated, smart active lady it sounds yeah. like and yeah i'm i'm impressed i i i was too and so uh, you know in many ways it's probably a relief for her to be released from her earthly body that wasn't functioning so well but much sadness for the i-ring family my my favorite ending quote was that president oaks said a comforting consequence is that dear ones who have advanced to the spirit world would continue to be concerned with family members who remain in mortality. And I think that's just, I don't know, super sweet to think about. I, I love that quote because as an individual I've, who has lost, I've lost both my parents and I have a firm 100% testimony of how thin the veil is and how much they help us from the other side. It is, um, it's, it's astounding to me. Absolutely astounding. So, so yes, I'm glad that President Oaks shared that. All right, let's move on to our next story. This is a worldwide day of testimony. So this happened last Sunday, and this was for all the youth, all the young men and young women, and it happened in a 24-hour period. The church had a video that they recorded, and at 7 o'clock in every time zone, youth in that time zone were to meet, they were to watch the video, and then they were to have their own testimony meeting afterwards. I know in my ward, rather than go to the church, what they ended up doing is they went to one of the leaders' homes and they watched the video at the leaders' homes and then they did a a testimony meeting after that. Excuse me. So President Nelson began the video by giving the youth some principles to think about. He talked about them being a child of God, a child of the covenant, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he said, those are the three identifiers that you need to use in your life and say those truths over and over and over again. And I liked that. I'm just going to repeat them. A child of God, a child of the covenant, and a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think that is their new theme. Exactly. So I think that was a great plug. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that that is good advice, not only for the youth, but also for us as adults as well. And he then talks about, you know, they need to learn to receive personal revelation. Um, he talked about the word of wisdom and the law of chastity. Um, he also said, hey, if you have strayed off the covenant path, uh, don't think that you're too far gone or that it's or that it's too hard to get back or you don't have any opportunity to get back. He said, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, your future is bright and brilliant. And then what I thought was really interesting is President Freeman. They had a little clip of President Freeman. She was at Thanksgiving Point standing in front of a a statute entitled, It is I, Be Not Afraid. Is that where they were? I could not figure out where they were. I was like, where are all these cool statues in that video? Yes, they were at Thanksgiving Point, which if you live in Utah, is right at Point of the Mountain on the Utah County side of Point of the Mountain. I I enjoy that the reference for Thanksgiving point is point of the mountain, which is also not helpful for people from Utah. Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
It's very trail. When you're driving down I-15, it's the part where the mountain kind of like juts out a bit more and you go around a larger curve and it's it's halfway between Salt Lake and Provo. Um, <laughs> I did but, not think okay, about cool. that. I didn't know that all those statues were there. So next yes. time we're in Utah, maybe we'll go find them. Yes. And President Lund cho- chose a sculpture depicting the first vision where the Savior ministered to a teenage Joseph Smith. That's what he stood in front of. And he says, it is fascinating to me that Heavenly Father answered his prayer. He's talking about Joseph Smith by first calling him by his name. Heavenly Father knew him. And uh, anyway, it, it the article then goes on to have little quips and quotes from literally all of the gatherings that happened all over the world. Uh, what Deseret News had requested, or this may even be the church news, I can't remember which one this came from. I believe it came from Deseret News, that bishops send in pictures of their youth testimony meeting and then a little bit of information about what was happening at their youth testimony meeting. So the article was filled with all sorts of pictures of youth all over the world and then quotes from youth all over the world about what they thought about this testimony meeting. And so I did not go to the one in my ward because I am not in Young Women's, so I was not invited, but I'm I'm sure it was wonderful. I did ask my daughter. Uh, She lives with her, my 16-year-old daughter lives with her dad, so she's not in my ward. She goes to a different ward, what hers was like, and she said, well, all of the girls bore their testimony, but only one boy did. (laughs) I said, well, that's about right. Sounds like the boys. That's awesome. <laughs> but she liked it. She she enjoyed it. So that was the report that I received. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next story about Elder Christofferson and Bishop Cassaw. Cassay. Thank you. Yes. Yes. If I can diverge for a second, I please. have a special special tie to Bishop Cosay. Oh, please um, share. I have never met him. He probably has no idea who I am, but my husband and I bought his car three years ago. Uh, <laughs> we we were looking for a car. We wanted to switch to a uh, to an SUV and we were looking for a Toyota. And then we realized we had to maybe look for a little bit older for our budget. And there was this lovely little Toyota SUV that was um, there for a reasonable price. And my husband coordinates with the guy and the guy's like, yeah, I'm selling it for kind of like a, a CEO sort of person who just doesn't want people coming to his house. And so he test drives the car and like, it's really good. And so I haven't seen it at this point, but he's like, let's buy it. I'm like, okay, I trust you. And so he's texting with the guy that's selling it. And the guy's like, yeah, they want you to pay by, um, by a cashier's check. And he's like, okay, who do I make it out to? And he says, well, make it out to Gerald Cosset. And <laughs> my husband's like, is there another French guy with that name in the Salt Lake Valley? I think that's really unlikely. So <laughs> when we go to pay for the car and pick it up, uh, we're like, so is that the Gerald Cosset? <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, it is. Apparently he worked for the, um, 
what the guys at church headquarters with the fleet of vehicles. Uh-huh. And apparently sometimes the general authorities will come down and be all like, Hey, I need help selling a car. Can you help me on the side? I, I wonder if they get like a little tip or something. I don't know or percentage of what they sell it for. Totally guessing here. Um, <laughs> That's kind of funny, but I never thought about that. But that makes sense because it's not like if you're elder Hollage, you're going to go put on Facebook. Hey, I got my car for sale. Text me if you want to buy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we bought it directly from him, not from the yeah. church. Yeah. But the address on the thing, on the lease was for the church headquarters address. Oh, interesting. So it was interesting. Um, yes. And we felt very blessed because we bought that car after having a couple of car accidents that were not either of our faults, but they were too close together for us to want to ever have sedans again and i was just like we have a blessed vehicle it was driven by gerald cose and it was incredibly clean when we bought it and it was over 10 years old and even the little holders had no little dirt in the edges so um i thought of him when i was reading about this brazil conference which is the whole point of this tangent um and he did it ties into the Brazil conference. Explain to it, our listeners how this ties into the Brazil conference. It ties into the Brazil conference because they are talking about being good stewards of the earth and keeping things clean. Now, I do not know if he cleaned that car with environmentally friendly like cleaning supplies, but I'll think he did because they did a good job. Um, but yes, yeah, so this was a conference in Brazil, um, and it was hosted by a group called Ru- and oh gosh. My cousin married a lovely lady from Brazil who I wish I had asked her how to pronounce these before coming on, but oh well. Um, a group called Robel del Sur, which is a group of members and friends of the church. And they wanted to host um, our stewardship of God's creation, which was a four-day conference. So they had Elder Christofferson come down. This was in, and Bishop Cosse videoed in. This was in Florianopolis, Brazil. And they just talked about sustainability, environmental health. Um, they, they emphasized that, oh, how do I explain this? Um, how the earth is like a gift to us and we are responsible to, you know, pay attention to how we're treating it because it affects other people around us. And so how can we use what we're given to help our communities? And I just really appreciated how they went over that. Um, I loved this article. And, And let me tell you why I loved this article. Here's what I learned from this article. When when Bishop Cosse spoke, he said that the presiding bishopric has six sustainability priorities. I had never heard of that before. And so I was completely fascinated by this. So I just want to go through what their six yes. Uh, uh, sustainability priorities are. So, I mean, he is not just like, oh, yeah, we should be good stewards of the earth. This is a priority for them as a presiding bishopric, and as a presiding bishopric, they are responsible for the temporal uh, needs of the church and the church temporally. And their first one was increase energy efficiency and use of renewable resources. Their second one was conserve water through water-wise landscaping design, smart technology use, and water management plans. 
Their third one was avoid material waste through reduction, reuse, and recycling, packaging solutions and building methods. Their fourth was improve air quality and reduce emissions. Fifth, practice sustainable design and development and construction. And sixth, engage in sustainable farming and ranching practices. Yes, I loved that list. I knew that the church was paying attention to things like that because during some rabbit hole of research a couple years ago, I found some weird, like, random PowerPoint from the church sustainability department. So the information's out there if you try to find it. Um, but they don't um, they don't capitalize on it very often. They don't. But Bishop, Bishop's, Bishop Cosse's list, let's see. So he mentioned for number one, they have 500 solar energy projects around the entire world. Yeah. Um, conserving water through waterwise landscape. So they referenced the the new Red Cliffs Utah Temple. They tried to adapt the landscaping to the desert, which I think is probably the future for a lot of our temples landscaping, since currently many of them require lots of water to maintain their grass. Um, he talked about. The coming 2024, we're going to have new sacrament meeting cups because they are transitioning to 100% recycled plastic instead of the previous 40 to 70% recycled plastic. And yeah, a bunch of other things. They try to have fuel efficient um, vehicles for the Faith's global fleet, as they called it, Mm -hmm. which sounds very exciting. And when they build temples and church buildings, they try to think about the environment and the society that they're building in and what it's going to cost and to maintain it and how that's going to affect the environment as they maintain these buildings. Um, And then any farmers out there will hopefully appreciate this and understand it better than I do, but they try to use cover crops, crop rotation, no-till farming, grazing management, and greenhouse gas capture to be good stewards. No, I, I, I really, I really loved this. This is a principle that I feel really strongly about and, and I wish that they would talk about it more. In fact, when I, when I saw this list of their six sustainability practices, the first thing that came to mind is I was like, Hmm, we have some very extremely politically right-wing people in the church. Do they know that these are your practices? Because if they did, they might call you liberal. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. You know, I, uh, friends of mine that are from abroad have told me like, okay, people in the United States think the church is very, very conservative, but worldwide there's countries in which it's considered very liberal and they are pushing, pushing things. So I think it's helpful to remember that it's all a spectrum and relative to where you are. Exactly. Nope. Loved the article, loved the message, thought it was great. Uh, yes. And I want to give one last shout out in the article. They quoted briefly the church sustainability manager, which I didn't know was a thing. And it's a woman named Jenica Sedgwick. So shout out to Jenica, who had some nice little thoughts to share. And I, I don't know, she's a woman in the church. I would love to hear more about what she does, because I think there's a lot of women doing cool things that we don't hear about. So Ooh, maybe I'll have to uh, see if... Uh, See if, see if Kurt can reach out to her. Maybe maybe Kurt has some contacts and he could get her as a guest on the podcast. I, d- I don't know if the church had let her, but it, it would be interesting to ask her questions about her job and what she does and, and what the church is doing sustainability-wise. I think that would be super fascinating. It would be fun. It would be fun. All right. We have a Tabcat story. Quickly hit on our Tabcat story. 
Yes. Um, Tab Cats invited two Glee clubs. Um, I believe they were both from Georgia um, to come join them. And let's see. So they're both from, let's see, the Morehouse College Glee Club and the Spellman College Glee Club uh, to come sing with them for music and the spoken words. So this aired last Sunday, the 22nd. Um, they are men's and women's liberal arts colleges that are historically black liberal arts colleges. And they have a bunch of quotes there from from the singers from the different glee clubs talking about what an amazing experience it was how all the motab members were super friendly and welcoming and they were blown away by singing in the conference center because the acoustics there are just fantastic um and then some of the music was awesome you know they kind of opened with a normal kind of typical sounding motab piece sorry tab cats piece <laughs> and um and then they had some fun things there was a who was john piece and he was a writer and that one was super fun and energetic and then they had one called my soul's been anchored in the lord and that one felt really kind of like bluesy and it had a bit of a minor key thing going on um and so those are just i don't know super fun that we don't normally see in our mm -hmm. kind of repertoire of music and they sang what a wonderful world and of course you can't come hang out with tab cats without singing come thou fount of every blessing so exactly well it aired last Sunday on the 22nd. So for those who may be listening to this now and didn't see it, you can go to YouTube and you can see the, um, you can, you can find the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square on YouTube and you can catch last week's broadcast there if you want to see them singing with Morehouse College and Spelman College. I, I love that they are reaching out to the singers of different religions and different backgrounds. And just to kind of close this out, there was an article that uh, one of the singers, uh, a quote from one of the singers uh, from Spelman College who said, rather than the different faiths creating a division, it can be a bridge for us to continue to spread love, continue to spread unity and understanding that it is our faith that will bring us together. And it is our faith that will keep us together despite its differences. I don't think that could be better said. I agree. Um, yeah. Awesome. All right. You want to talk about BYU Jerusalem Center? We have an update on that. Yes. Um, am I doing that one? I don't know. I read it. Uh, yes, they... I had you. I had you doing that one. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad I read it then. Um, yeah. They so. October 15th, they moved about 94, I think, people to Athens, not Athens, to Greece. And they were going to take a couple weeks and go from Thessaloniki over to Athens. And then as uh, come, upcoming the 31st, they're coming home to the States. Um, yeah. In the month of November, they'll have a Zoom class to kind of finish up their studies. And they do still have employees that are both Israeli and Palestinian uh, back at the Jerusalem Center that, you know, aren't part of the temporary students and, and senior couple staff. So um, the security update that was released on October 15th just said these beloved and trusted individuals and families, Israelis and Palestinians, remain in harm's way. We ask that you pray for their safety and well-being. Yeah. Well, and, you know, 
when the when the war first broke out, they hunkered down all the students, and then they moved them to Greece. And we thought they were going to be in Greece for the rest of the semester, but then this update was released that said, "No, they're just going to stay here till the end of the month, and then they're going to go home." Um, the last time that they moved students out mid semester, it was uh, seven years before they opened the Jerusalem Center back again. So, I hope that it is not that long of a period this time. But I do appreciate that the church is acting in safety and they don't want to send BYU students over there unless it can be a safe environment for them. So we'll cross our fingers that it will not be seven and a half years and it will be a shorter period of time. All right. So our next story is the story is a story about the Heber City Temple. Now, we've run into some controversy lately with temples. We had the temple in um, Wyoming, and I want to say Casper, but it, it wasn't Casper. It was, um, oh, my! it escapes me right now, uh, the temple in Wyoming that they had kind of a, a disagreement with planning and zoning and had to work out some issues. Well, now they have a similar thing going on in Heber City, which is a bit unusual because usually temples in Utah don't get a lot of backlash against them that Utah is generally speaking very open to, oh, you want to build a temple? Please build a temple. We know what it will do to our property values. It will be positive for our property values. Well, this temple in Heber City, the church wants to build an 88,000 square foot temple. It would have a 210 foot steeple and 454 parking spaces. There is a group that is entitled um, Save Wasatch Back Dark Skies. And they do not want to see the temple because they think that the temple will become an eyesore to the beautiful dark sky that exists in Heber Valley. So the que temple question real quick yes. before you explain this. So I am all for dark skies. I like dark skies park. I like their name except for the save Wasatch back. Yeah. Dark sky. Like I feel like save Wasatch dark skies would make a lot of sense, but I don't know why they put the back in the middle of that name. I don't know either. It seems very odd unless they, unless they call that area the Wasatch back. They may call that area, it may be geographically known as the Wasatch back. That's kind of what I'm guessing is maybe it's geographically known as the Wasatch back. But when you put it together all in one sentence, it seems awkward. Yes, yes, especially for anyone not from there. So Exactly. Okay. So the temple has gone through, um, I believe, the Planning and Zoning Commission. And uh, the church, again, is trying to work with everybody. But, but it's kind of interesting because it's in a residential area, which is not unusual. We build temples in residential areas. And under the current zoning, the residential areas allows for churches and temples as a conditional use. And what that means is it is an allowable use in the residential area, but you have to go before planning and zoning and you have to go before the city council and you have to get a conditional use permit, which means they're going to put restrictions on, yes, you can build this, but you can do this, you can do this, you can't do that sort of a thing. So that's why it's going through planning and zoning. The Save Wasatch Back Dark Skies group questions uh, the definition of church or temple. They say this is not a temple. They contend that this building is meets the definition of a club or limited membership because you have to have a recommend to get into the temple because not everybody can go into the temple that it is not a church or a temple and it doesn't 
it's not allowable in this particular uh, residential area and not allowable for a conditional use permit because it's really a club with limited membership. And I laughed and I was like, well, that's a creative legal argument. I don't know how far you'll get with that, but props to you for coming up with something new I've never heard before. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, so that is the definition of a Mormon temple. And since this code was written in Utah, um, I imagine it like often don't they define terms in these legal things. So what if you flip the pages or go to the city code somewhere, like maybe they'll have a definition for temple. Um, you know, usually maybe they, they don't, they usually don't. Usually when they say, I, I mean, I have never seen temple in a code here in Idaho because it's, we, while we have a lot of members of the church here, we do not have the volume that exists down in Utah. So it kind of makes sense to me in Utah that they would have church or temple. And you, it is kind of universally understood what those items are. So yes. uh, now, anyway, if you talk about temples for other churches, are yeah. they limited use? I don't know. I, I had a professor once invite me to her, I think she was Sikh, and she said I could come visit their temple and they had lots of yummy Indian food yeah. that I could come check out. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, the planning commission is having a meeting next Wednesday uh, at the Wasatch County Senior Center. And so uh, we'll have to just continue to follow this story and, and see what happens. Again, the church always does try and say, okay, you know, maybe we can make some adjustments here or there to, you know, make everybody happy. But it sounds like this group just flat out doesn't want the temple regardless of adjustments. So this will be an interesting story to follow and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's always interesting to see what happens with planning. Cody, Wyoming, not Casper. Cody, that's where they were having the other problem. I knew it wasn't Casper, but it was Cody. And I knew it started with a C. I just took me a minute. All right, quick shout out on this next story. This next story, there was a poll that was commissioned by the Deseret News uh, that found that nationwide, people think that President Donald Trump is more of a person of faith than Mitt Romney. I, I have no words. I have no words. It left they, me they, shaking my say, head. They did have a quote from Trump that said, no president has ever fought for Christians as hard as I have. I got it done, and nobody thought it was even a possibility. So that's what Trump says. The article also mentions that R Trump rarely talks about his personal faith. So it's very true. <laughs> very, very true. So yes, um, like I said, just left me scratching my head. Now, All I right. did say that your middle-of-the-road voters, um, they did tend to think that Romney was more religious than Trump. So, Okay. Could, could be swayed on as to where on the political spectrum you fall. I just have never really thought of Donald Trump as a very Christian individual, but that's just Tiffany's opinion. <laughs> All right. We got a couple of sports stories that we're going to hit really quick. 
first sports story that we are going to hit. Bryce Harper, uh, he and his Philadelphia Phillies are trying to make a play. I was going to look up to see if they're if they're still in the playoffs or if they've got kicked out, and I didn't I didn't have a chance to look that up before we recorded. In any event, he plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. He is a member of the church. He has, he's been wearing a couple of bracelets that actually a couple of fans in New Jersey, a couple of kids in New Jersey made these bracelets for him. Um, they kind of look like um, the rainbow loom bracelets that were really popular about 10, 15 years ago. So they made one for Bryce Harper. He's been wearing it while he's been going through the playoffs. And so these kids are just super excited that they sent him a gift and he wore it. And it's been a good luck charm for him. Our it was cute. Our next sports story is a gentleman by the name of Britton Covey, and he is a football player for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he is, let's see what he does. Uh, he is a punt returner. In fact, he is one of the NFL's top punt returners. And the Philadelphia Eagles recently released a video and they featured him on this video. And on this video, he talks about his love for football, but he also talks about, I can't wait to get home to my family. And there's a really cute video that has his wife and his little son named Nelson. He is also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So anybody wanting to go watch Britton Covey's little Philadelphia Eagles video, it's not very long. It's just a few minutes. Uh, We'll put a link for that in the show notes. All right. I have another litigation story because, you know, I'm a litigator. I like to litigate. This is actually kind of an update. You may remember uh, several months ago, we had kind of an icky story break out of Arizona. There were some children that were abused by their father. Uh, This had been made known to their LDS bishop, who was also their physician. It never got reported for several years. uh, And finally it came out and he was excommunicated. And I I believe the father may have even committed suicide. I can't, I, I don't recall right off the top of my head, but in any event, one of these children, at least one of these children is suing the church for not reporting this abuse sooner and stopping this abuse. And the church is fighting this because the law in Arizona is not mandatory reporting for abuse. And so there was a decision made that said, okay, the church was within, you know, they they weren't required to report it under Arizona law. They did not break Arizona law. And so the attorney for the child has appealed that decision to an appellate court. The appellate court denied the petition to hear it. So now they are appealing it to the Supreme Court because essentially what this attorney is asking the Supreme Court to do, and this is the Supreme Court of Arizona, not to be confused with the United States Supreme Court. They are appealing this to the Supreme Court of Arizona and they want the Supreme Court of Arizona to essentially say this particular statute that protects members of the clergy from disclosing um, sexual abuse and that type of of stuff when it comes in as part of a confession should be considered unconstitutional. So it's going back to kind of a religious freedom debate is where they're going with this here. And it will be interesting. It says the case goes to the Supreme Court after the Court of Appeals late Tuesday refused to consider the issue. So it will be interesting to see if the Supreme Court in Utah decides to take this case or not Utah, excuse me, the Supreme court in Arizona decides to take this case up um, because, yeah, it, I, I, and I have, 
I have a lot of mixed feelings on this. <sighs> you you probably have like your attorney feelings, which are about whether or not it is actually unconstitutional. Yes. And then there's the feelings about oh, mandatory reporting and yeah. the church, which, yeah. yeah. And they go into that a bit in the article too. And talking about, I think the Bishop wanted to report it and he was being told that he shouldn't because the state protects that type of um, confidence. Yeah. And that's hard because, you know, your counselors and social workers and whatnot, you know, if they want to report that sort of thing, they're obligated to. So exactly. the law agrees with them. That's a tricky place to be. It, it is a tricky place to be because I, I definitely understand the argument of, hey, you want to be able to confess to your clergy and work through those issues with your clergy and, and, and the protection of that. I, I get that. But at the same time, I'm so for protecting the kids as well. And and my biggest concern is we have a lay clergy. And sometimes you get the leadership lottery and you get bishops that are more adept at being able to handle and deal with this situation. And then also getting help for the kids and you have bishops who are not. And and when you look at what happened in this case, there was literally just a failure all, all the way around, in my opinion. So I, I hope that we can just learn from this. And, and because again, I, I'm also a protector of religious freedom. I don't want to see religious freedom infringed upon. And there's so many things that are trying to chip away at religious freedom. And I don't want to see that infringed upon. But there has to be a balance in how you also protect these kids as well. And I, I am not quite sure what that looks like. I'm not sure either. I people go go to school for a long time to learn how to like protect children and help them and to expect lay clergy to know how to navigate these things is a bit of a tall order. It is. Um, it is. All right, we will finish up our news segment with the last legal one for the day. We've had a lot of legal ones on this one. If you are a longtime listener of TWIM, you know that my sister Ariane and I have been following the cookie wars religiously. The cookie wars. This was started by Crumble Cookie. They sued two other cookie companies. They sued Crave and they served, sued Dirty Dough. They settled their lawsuit with Crave in 2022. And so they had their lawsuit with Dirty Dough remaining. Now, their lawsuit with Dirty Dough is they basically said, hey, trademark infringement. Your boxes are just like our boxes. And one of the guys who started Dirty Dough used to work for us and he downloaded a whole bunch of cookie recipes before he left and he knew our trade secrets and he turned around and started Dirty Dough to compete with us. And so that was kind of the basis of the lawsuit. Well, these two companies have reached a settlement agreement. It in all likelihood will be a confidential settlement agreement. Uh, it had pen to paper has not been done as of yet, but they are they are working out. They've they've in theory reached their terms, which is 
quite honestly, what happens often in lawsuits is you get together, you reach your general idea of what your terms are, and then you put pen to paper and you hammer that back and forth between the lawyers several different times. But one thing that they did say was going to change is Dirty Dough is going to retool their boxes so that their boxes do not look like crumble boxes. They were a different color than crumble boxes, but they were the same shape as crumble boxes, and so which are long and oblong. And so they're going to retool their boxes so that their boxes look different than crumble boxes. But the it, it appears that the cookie wars will be ending. <laughs> I have loved the cookie wars so much. I have, I have told so many people about the cookie wars. <laughs> Whenever people talk about crumble or what, like back in January, you guys were talking about cookie wars. I remember a day when I was on a surgery rotation with some women we were, had some sort of surgery going on. We got talking about pastries and I was like, did you know there's a cookie war <laughs> in Utah? And they were fascinated. And it was the greatest surgery conversation I have ever had. Um, and it's been really good press for Dirty Dough, who I never heard of before yeah. Crumble sued them. Like, yeah. never heard of them. Never, never. Well, and Dirty Dough hired a really smart PR firm, and they did some great billboards in Utah, some great social media in Utah. I mean, they really exploited this lawsuit to the fullest extent of of what they could. Their videos, their video. Have you watched the videos? Yes, I've watched the videos. They're hilarious. Kill me. The like the. The attorneys and the snickering yeah. and the the trying to like talk to the little kids at their little like cookie stand and oh my gosh it's just amazing. I know I know They're so yes I I well I am happy that the lawsuit is settling I'm also a bit sad as well because it's provided a lot of material for us here on Twim I I'm sad I'm sad it's ending yeah I, it should have just gone on forever <laughs> well all good lawsuits must come to an end. Eventually, people get tired of paying their lawyers and they're like, ah, I just want to settle your legal bills too much. That's, that is really what it comes down to. All right. Let's move on to Mormons behaving badly. <laughs> okay. So I've got a couple of quick updates in Mormons behaving badly. And then I have a brand new Mormon behaving badly. So Lori Vallow. There has been an extradition warrant signed by the governor of the state of Idaho to extradite her to Arizona to face her charges in Arizona uh, for the um, death of her of her husband in Arizona. And so that will be headed to Arizona. Uh, Ammon Bundy. I have a quick Ammon Bundy update. Uh, he again has failed to, well, he filed paperwork with the court, but he didn't pay the proper legal fees. And so if you don't pay the proper legal fees, the court really doesn't consider your paperwork filed. And I so <laughs> the, the court's trying to encourage him and he's like, well, I'm harvesting my apples right now. I'm, I'm just kind of too busy for this. This is paperwork. Isn't he your Hall of Famer? Oh, yes. Yes. He has. No, he is a Lifetime Achievement Award winner in the category of Mormons behaving badly. And and the paperwork that he was filing is he did a transaction selling his house to a friend, in essence, to avoid the creditors in the St. Luke's lawsuit. So St. Luke's has requested that the court undo this transaction. And so this is paperwork related to the request on behalf of St. Luke's to undo the house 
house transaction. So St. Luke's can attach that his house as part of his judgment. But fun fact with Mr. Bundy, uh, he has a hearing in November on some contempt charges also related to this lawsuit. So I could potentially, because I, I think it's sometime in the next two weeks. I don't remember the exact date. Next time I record with my sister, I may have a Bundy update on his contempt charges. And if Mr. Bundy is cooling his hail, get his heels in the Ada County Jail. Who knows? I would just like to say he is so prolific. He even gets the court angry at him for his paperwork. It's true. <laughs> All right. And then uh, Ruby Frankie, there was a new video that was released this week that showed the the body cam footage of the officers when they arrested her and Jody Hillebrand. And so that's kind of interesting for anybody who wants who's following that case and wants to watch that. All right. Let's get to our new Mormons behaving badly. This is actually kind of really sad. This is another doomsday family, which ironically started in Arizona. And that's where Lori Vallow came from too. But she hooked up with Chad Daybell, who was in Rexburg. So eh, it's all kind of interconnected. Anyway, as far as I can tell, these people are not connected to Chad Daybell. But the center of this dispute is a 16-year-old boy named Blaze. Um, oh, I had the pronunciation on this correct. Um, and I and it slipped my mind because I have someone in my stake that has the same last name. Um, uh, Ty, I know it's not Tybu. Um, anyway, I it's it's a French pronunciation. Tebow, Tebow, that's what it is. It's Tebow. That's how it's pronounced. Anyway, so the gentleman is the sixteen-year-old is named Blaze Tebow, and what had happened is Blaze's mother is named Spring. Blaze's mother began following prepper type stuff, and Spring has a brother named. Um, Brooke. Brooke lives in Provo and she got Brooke into the prepper stuff. She also got her older daughter who is married into the prepper stuff. And they were feeling like this was the end of days. Uh, we need to uh, go to Idaho. And so what had happened is they had bought a whole bunch of, you know, tents and survival gear and stuff like that. And they boarded a plane to Idaho. They have them arriving in Boise. They have them getting into a vehicle in Boise, a Lexus 4x4. Uh, but they don't know where they went after that. And so, uh, Blaze, the 16 year old, his father believes he was not part of that. And his father believes that the mother, her brother, and Blaze's sister all think that Blaze is some sort of a divinic servant uh, who plays a significant role in the Savior's return. They feel that they needed to take him to an undisclosed location where he would receive his calling and understand his role in the second coming. The father fears for his safety, especially if uh, he is contentious or rebellious or belligerent. He feels that his brother-in-law would restrain him or do something that would incapacitate him. As far as the father could tell, the 16-year-old had no interest in his mom's end-of-days um, prepper stuff. So dad filed some paperwork in Arizona to say, I'm concerned for my son. The judge in Arizona has issued, has given the dad uh, temporary custody. And so the dad has the custody order that he's been able to bring to Idaho uh, to say, hey, can we, you know, if you find him, let me know. They also believe that maybe the group might have entered Canada 
And so kind of a kind of a sad deal for the dad and kind of hard to understand how people kind of get so off track sometimes, but apparently it happens. Yeah. I listened to the conversation the dad had with the um, news reporter. And, you know, one of the things he tried to emphasize was that like, hey, everyone involved is a good person. And, you know, if you guys are listening, I just like, you can come home, you can say you were wrong, we can move on with our lives. It's fine. But, you know, just please come home. And, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's so hard. I don't know. I think, you know, a lot of times these involve some mental illness and, and a lot of these kind of, I don't know, they just kind of take root and get a few people to go a little bit far out there. They do. So hopefully they find everybody, hopefully just like what you said with the dad, they, they get the 16 year old home. If mom and daughter and her brother want to go off and do that themselves, well, they're, they are all grown adults. They can do what they want. So, okay, well, let's move on to favorite things. We're going to do two things tonight for favorite things. First of all, you're going to share a book that you like. I'm going to share a podcast. And then we are going to both try yummy treats that we've never tried before in our little segment of could this be a favorite thing? So Cassandra, tell us what book you want to share tonight with us. Yeah. So I can't remember where I first heard about this book, but I'm guessing it might have been on one of Kurt's other podcasts, um, which I don't listen to much nowadays, but I used to listen to his Leading Saints podcast Mm -hmm. and what they would interview people. But Jeff might have done that too. Anyways, um, this is a Maxwell Institute New Testament Translation for Latter-day Saints by Professor Thomas Waymont. Um, It's the second edition, which I got to buy because my first edition got lost in our cross-country move. Um, It is fantastic. So essentially what Professor Waymont did was he went through and did this like crazy scholarly review of all these um, original sources for what we have of the New Testament. And he translated them into modern English as opposed to King James English, which is notoriously challenging for modern day readers. And he, it's just, I I love reading this. I'll bring it to Sunday school and just like sit there and read along with everyone and hope they don't call on me. So I confuse everyone. Um, But it's just so much more readable compared to, the normal New Testament. Um, he has a bazillion footnotes. He'll say things like, in, you know, we chose this ordered word order because of whatever, and most early texts favor blah, blah, blah. And it seems like someone might have added this later to make it kind of seem more consistent with Paul's other writing style and other books. And he'll kind of, he'll give a lot of cultural insight. And so it just, I feel like, I interact with the New Testament better, understand what's going on better, get a better sense of like who Jesus is and the culture. And yeah, it's just fantastic. I love this book and it made New Testament so much more fun this year. Well, what a great recommendation. I'm going to go the opposite of your recommendation and I'm going to talk about a podcast that's true crime. So probably not as, probably not as uplifting as the New Testament. You do. You do. 
I started listening to this new podcast. It's called Erased, and it is done in the style of an old-fashioned kind of radio show where they have characters and voices and sound effects. And it is based on the murder of this young woman in New York City in 1799. And they found her body at the beginning of January of 1800. And they suspected that her then uh, a boyfriend who she was having illicit relations with was probably responsible for murdering her. He got charged with murder. It was one of the first real big criminal trials that occurred under our new constitution. I kid you not, defending the boyfriend were Burr and Hamilton. You think they're rivals, but they actually worked together on this case, defending him in court in New York City. And so it is, I'm only two episodes in, but it has been really fascinating to listen to a fun listen with the actors and their voices and the sound effects and everything. And there's all sorts of legal stuff in there. So for the legal nerd in me, I'm kind of geeking out, but you don't have to be a legal nerd to enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a good listen. It's a fun listen while you're working out or whatever you're doing. So that's my recommendation. I have to ask, okay, I did the like, oh, Burn Hamilton, that's exciting. And then, yeah, okay, I don't actually know who they are. Who who are Burn Hamilton? Oh, um, Aaron Burr and Alexander, no, what are their first name? The the musical Hamilton is based on the duel that they have. So that's who I'm talking about. I have not seen that musical. Their first names escape me at the moment. Uh, And so that's why I'm just like Burr and Hamilton. I can't remember their first names, but that's, they were, they were rivals, but they also came together to defend this guy. So anyway, very interesting. All right. Should we try our yummy treats? Why don't you share tonight what you brought and then I'll share what I brought and then we can both try our treats simultaneously. Well, you should share what you brought because I bought mine based on yours. Okay, fair enough. So I was in Walmart the other day and they have a limited edition Oreo flavor. It is a hot cocoa flavored Oreo. And so it has marshmallow and hot cocoa cream flavoring in between the Oreo cookie. And I thought, ooh, that might be kind of fun to try. So that's what I'm bringing to try tonight. So I live in a small town and I went to our Walmart today and I was looking for that. And we actually have many types of Oreos, including the birthday cake one that you guys Uh tried last time, but we don't have the hot cocoa one. So I looked for the next best thing and I just found the dark chocolate Oreo and maybe I'm just late to the game, but I haven't tried Oreos that are anything other than normal. So I have not tried the dark chocolate Oreo. So, okay. So you try your dark chocolate. I'm going to try my hot cocoa flavored and then we can, we can give our review. Okay. I've been waiting for this all day. Mm. yeah that is really good i would buy that again it's like an oreo with a punch of um fudginess oh so mine has uh some the chocolate in the center and then it has marshmallow and I have never met any form of marshmallow that I don't like. So given the fact that it has the chocolate plus the marshmallow, this is this is a definite win for me. I would so buy this again. I'm going to have to hide the package because otherwise I might consume the whole thing tonight. 
Very good. It's delicious. All right. Well, Twim Nation, thank you very much for joining Cassandra and I tonight. And Cassandra, it was absolutely a pleasure to have you here. I enjoyed our conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it too and that you will come back and do this with me again. Thank you so much. It's been super fun and just, I don't know, awesome to meet y'all in person. I hope anyone else who wants to do this will come and visit you guys. Exactly. Um, Because you're just so, so fun. Oh, you're so sweet. So, Twim Nation, you can find This Week in Mormons on Facebook, on Instagram, on X, formerly known as Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. And last of all, we need to give a plug for Patreon. If you want to be a supporter of Twim, you can join Patreon. Uh, You can pledge two, three bucks a month, whatever you feel comfortable with uh, to help us keep the lights on. And Patreon subscribers do get additional content. In fact, Cassandra and I are going to record some additional content for Patreon when we're done. We are going to record a story on Greg Olson. We're going to talk about Halloween in Daybreak, Utah, and we're going to talk about pickleball. So if you want to hear our thoughts on those, join and be a Patreon subscriber. All right. Thanks, Twim Nation. Have a good night. Thank you, everybody. Good night.